Look, I believe in one simple truth. You don't have to be superhuman to be a superhero. There are heroes all around us. Heroes of culture, business, philanthropy, and technology. And on this show, I'm going to talk to them all. My name is Joe Anthony, and this is Hero Talk. Welcome to another episode of Hero Talk, the show where we talk to ordinary people doing extraordinary things, uh, heroes of culture, business, philanthropy, society, change makers that have one thing in common. They do what they do because they want to change the world, make the world a better place. I'm here today with my friend, my homie, Steve Canal, National Director of Community Affairs at Miller Corps. What's up, Steve? How are you, man? How are you, man? Good to see you, man. Wonderful. You're looking good, man. Looking good. Thank you. Good wife will make you shine, you know? Well, some people might argue that, but I'm glad that you're one of the brothers that actually uh, can claim that. But yes, I mean, my wife as well, she is one of the few that, uh, Brings a smile to my face most right. of the time. <laughs> How you been, man? I've been wonderful, man. Um, you know, 2017 has been a blessing. Yep. You know, just everything's rolling along. You know, you set your seeds, you know, every year, and then they start to grow. You start to see, yeah. you know, everything come to fruition. So it's been a blessing. Well, look, I'll congratulate you, congratulate you on this journey because, you know, I've been there from the beginning, from the you beginning, know, and I've kind of, kind of seen you kind of uh, blossom and, and grow into this amazing executive uh, that you are. But for those who don't know, why don't you tell a little bit about your backstory, uh, how you kind of got into this work for this amazing company and do the amazing things that you're doing? Definitely. You know, the, the, the journey's a long journey. Um, and it's, it's a complex journey, but it all intertwines and makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, I could go all the way back to college, mm -hmm. playing at Fordham, and, you know, one of your good friends, Peter Paul, mm -hmm. while I was at Fordham, you know, we were able to have a conversation and get Tommy Hilfiger to sponsor our team. Mm -hmm. So the marketing mindset started at that age, you know, being that, yeah, six, eight, six, nine guys walking through the airport, these are billboards, mm -hmm. you know, so <laughs> being able, you know, 98, Tommy Hilfiger, 97, Tommy Hilfiger yeah, is it, yeah, you know, so yeah. being able to walk through the airport in velour suits <laughs> to graduating and getting great opportunities, you know, with you, yeah. you know, and, and doing our army tour, which, you know, set the, set the tone for my mindset for mm. where I am today and wanting to give back. Mm. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be, you know, do events in every state in the country, mm. you know, and being able to do that, I get to understand that there are different mindsets in every state. You know, mm. nothing's supposed to be cookie cutter. Mm. You're supposed to approach every opportunity um, as a special case, understand that case, develop a plan, and roll it out. You know, so from that age, I was able to start to see, you know, how I'm supposed to maneuver and move. You know, and then the opportunity came with Miller Coors for me to uh, take on their multicultural nationally. Mm. And I knew it was a different dynamic because it was new around that time. Yeah. You know, they would push and speak to us with above, line, above the line marketing. You have your billboards, mm -hmm. your, you know, your TV spots and commercials where, you know, they're, they're talking to us but not having a dialogue. So I was able to be, you know, in a position where I can create opportunities for Miller Coors to have a dialogue with us, with our culture um, and our community, you know. so. From there, I was able to develop some amazing platforms that are thriving for us today yeah. because of that mindset, mm. which started very early <laughs> on of understanding that everything isn't cookie cutter and you need to approach you know, people differently and understand them. What was one of the biggest challenges that you faced shifting from kind of an agency environment? I mean, yeah. you, you had such kind of, um, well, well, one, when, when we worked together, 
Um, obviously, we, we had a different culture at our agency. Right. It was young, it was dynamic. You know, we fostered a level of entrepreneurialism. There was a level of independence that you had when you were traveling all over the country and kind of gaining some of this firsthand experience and exposure to move into more of a rigid corporate environment where you had structure and <laughs> accountability and, you know, uh, you know, bosses that actually had like significant expectations that uh, you had to do X, Y, Z in a very kind of uh, chronological format. I mean, how was that transition for you? Um, it was a tough transition. It was like a culture shock, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, I liken it to me going to Fordham University here in the Bronx. It's a Jesuit university. Mm -hmm. It's about 80, 85 percent white and 15% other, mm. right? And then going on an army tour where we're doing a step show in <laughs> Atlanta yeah. Yeah. and experiencing an HBCU for the first time. It was a culture shock, you know? Mm. But there were basic um, lessons and tools that I had from being on the road. And because honestly, our culture, you know, early on was from the agency side was fun. It was cool and there was freedom with that. But you also needed to know that you needed to be a CEO and an executive of whatever it is you're managing within that culture. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I approached it that way, right? So I knew there was a lot of responsibility that was to it. So I took it serious. I made sure to understand, you know, everybody I was working with in the dynamic. Mm -hmm. So when I transferred over to corporate, there were transferable skills that were there, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. I didn't, you know look at it as you know an opportunity to you know not take advantage of i knew that there were lessons to be learned that's why i would come to your office and come to you know folks who are opening the door and putting the ladder down for me to climb and learn to ask questions how i should approach the situation i always saw um that you needed to win with purpose mm -hmm. so everything that i did was purpose driven and there was goals aligned so when i transferred over to corporate <laughs> and the structure was there and there was nothing but structure you know you had to come to meetings with a button up and you know slacks and shoes and blazer but the advantage that i saw that was a key learning moment for corporate so i would let them know that if you're trying to attract and talk to me you need to be you need to enter into my culture Got it. Well, that, that's kind of that interesting balance because most people, especially people of color, they go into a corporate environment um, where it's disproportionately white or, you know, uh, you're, you're working to an environment where you're not necessarily as comfortable or seeing more people that look like yourself. Um, there could be a hesitancy to not be overly expressive or come out and say, hey, this is what I think you guys should do versus just trying to assimilate and kind of uh, not necessarily make too much noise or trying to be more like the culture that, you're, that you've kind of now kind of uh, entered into. What, what, I guess, encouraged you uh, to be more outspoken? Because you've kind of climbed up the corporate ladder pretty quickly uh, and you have the ear of the CMO, you have he the ear of some pretty high level executives right. up at Miller Coors. How were you able to kind of accomplish that uh, considering that you were entering into an environment that was a little polarizing? Right, it was, it was a combination of things. One is having champions within the organization, so building relationships with people within the organization so you can have those conf, you know, confident and bold conversations mm. knowing that they're not going to think you know, negatively about you. They're going to be open to that conversation. 
Um, in addition to that is being confident within yourself. Mm. You have to know what you're bringing to the table. It's not always about coming into an environment and changing who you are. It's about bringing your best self to that organization. And everybody's insights driven. So in, in addition to bringing you, show the proof, show the facts, and show how it can impact that industry. So it wasn't me just talking. It was me showing and proving, and at the same time, bringing fly to it. Got it. You know? So when I came into an organization, and I'm coming to meetings, and everybody's in their suit and ties, and I got Jordans on, you know, and I got a you know, fly you know, shirt and you know, cool jacket on, it's now, it's, you know, I'm known for that. Yeah. You know, because in addition to just this, it wasn't just a show. Yeah. There was you get, proof you got, behind you gotta it. Gotta bring swag to you the conference bring, room. You gotta bring swag to the conference room because you, what's, what makes you different from everybody else? Got it, got it. Now, was there some hesitancy in the beginning on, on, on um, or some concern that your peers may react uh, negatively or there may be some haters? in the organization to be like, well, why does he have, uh, you know, the liberty to come in here dressed like this? You know, I mean, we don't dress like this. I mean, did they embrace it or were there some people that obviously... Regardless of what you do, there'll always be opposition. Mm -hmm. There'll be people who love it and people who don't. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to be confident enough to know that, you know, you're, you're here to give something to the culture and the environment and they're going to accept it or they're not. And if they don't, then you move on. If they do, that's an opportunity to change a culture and bring something positive. You know, because if you're telling me that you're trying to speak to me as a consumer and I'm not at the table, mm. then you need to understand the mindset so you can make a better decision. Or you're gonna be wasting 40, 50 million dollars trying to speak to somebody and you're not speaking in their language. We live in a really polarizing time right now, right. you know. Um, it almost seems like we've been kind of catapulted back to the civil rights era in some in some senses. Uh, diversity in corporate America, diversity in the marketing and advertising industry have been kind of highly debated and heated topics. Mm -hmm. um, you obviously are a man of color, six eight, imposing figure, <laughs> right. you know. And if if you can go into an environment and thrive, um, you know, do you feel as if diversity as a practice is getting better? Do you think it's still a major problem? Are you still seeing, you know, um, you know, corporate America continue to perpetuate stereotypes and bad practices when it comes to diversity? I mean, wh where's the opportunity to get better in that area? Yeah, I, I definitely think that um, the awareness is there. Mm. Um, I think people talk about wanting to be better. Mm. Um, but I think uh, the leaders of the Guard right now are having a tough time with just fully going in and, and, and allowing it to, to take over. But our culture and the access to information is kind of forcing the situation. Mm. So you have those who are running organizations, you have those who are in the middle who are ready to take lead, and then you have our millennial gen generation. We're kind of in the middle where we're the bridge between the elders and the millennials. Um, the information that and the wave that's coming in right now is forcing the millennials to embrace the culture, mm. embrace diversity, and they don't see color. Mm. You know, it's one and the same. 
if I like two chains, you like two chains, you know, the only difference is you're white and I'm black, or you're, you know, you're Latino and you're white. Outside of that, everything else, they don't see difference. You know, it, it, the, the music is the music and they appreciate the culture. So the elders and their children are starting to embrace it. And that's the changing of the guard. That's the flower that's blossoming. That's going to ultimately change the dynamic that's in culture right now within organizations. Talk, and they're trying, mm -hmm. but the change is coming. Got it, got it. And, and how is a company like Millicore is trying to foster that, that interaction, that dynamic, or um, embrace the cultural complexities that make up their workforce? Yeah, if, if it's Millicore's or any organization, you know, your, your consumer is telling you that they're, you know, market to us the same. Polyculturalism, you know, like polyculturalism. There is, they don't see a color barrier. So you need to embrace it all and market to all. And who's marketing to me? It, it shouldn't just be, you know, 90% of one, you know, uh, demographic that's within that organization. It should be diversity and inclusion. There needs to be a mixture within that table and in that seat within marketing, within sales, to fully embrace the culture, to impact your sales. So organizations are starting, you know, within the cultural, you know, diversity inclusion space, mm -hmm. are putting people in lead within their organizations to start making an impact within that space, you know, but it still takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. You know, I I hear diversity, the term diversity and inclusion, like just throwing around a bunch right now. I get the diversity part. The part that I've been struggling with is seeing kind of the brands put more inclusionary practices in place, right? It's kind of uh, what uh, our friend True Pettigrew says, the illusion of inclusion. Right. Um, how, how, you know, uh, you know and, I, and we've seen companies like Hewlett Packard and, and uh, General Mills even as recently kind of uh, make mandates that their agency ha uh, agencies that they work with have to have a level of kind of cultural balance or ethnic balance in, in the makeup of their employees in order for them to qualify to even work with them. But what we're starting to see is this kind of um, thinking that you can hire your way right. into being a diverse organization. Yes. Right? But that's different than inclusion, right? Yeah, it definitely is different than inclusion because that's a patch. Yeah. You know, it's not actually rebuilding or putting the structure in place you know, um, of an organization. So a lot of people, you know, to your point, are hiring their way yeah. with the agencies to try and solve, but the culture needs to embrace it mm -hmm. from the top down. Mm -hmm. So this message needs to come from the CEO to his CMO and the senior leadership team to go down to middle management to, to you know, embrace, you know, everybody else within the organization to know that, you know, this is our culture. This is where we're going, and this is what it, this is what we're about. This is what we're going to stand for, you know. And some people talk about it, but you know, like I said, it's going to take time. Yeah. You know, the environment um, is is kind of pushing organizations in that direction to have to, because of the vast amount of information that's out there that's making people embrace the cultures and not see color. So. Eventually, they're going to have to go in that direction, or in 2020 and 2022, they're going to be the blockbuster, mm, mm. you know, because they're not making the adjustment to know that it's a, way, it's a way of life and thinking that you're going to have to embrace, or you're going to be left behind. Well, I mean, you know, you, you look at an a, a industry like the beer industry, right, um, which, you know, uh, 
recently has been going through their own kind of metamorphosis and evolutions, right? We've seen kind of the emergence of the craft beer industry. Flavors, uh, craft. flavors crafts that, you know, um, we have, you know, consumer base that has a diversity in preferences right now and, and diversity in tastes and kind of enjoys the idea of kind of exploring the, the different, the authentic, the craft brews, you know, the, uh, the local, the, the, the local breweries and supporting them. Um, and, and ironically, Miller Coors has been one of the biggest supporters of the craft industry and, and they have made some of the biggest acquisitions within the craft space. Right. right. Yeah. Um, within that space, you know, I'm a true believer of innovation. Mm -hmm. um, you have to stay on top of it and offer um, variety. You know, to your point, you know, again, going back to information and access to information, you know, craft and beers have been here. People just didn't know about it because you might not have traveled to, you know, Iowa. You might not have traveled to Atlanta to be able to experience a different product or a beer. Um, now you can look online and hear people talk about it or see posts and, oh, I want to try that. Like, what's this mm -hmm. about? You know, and what's my local beer, you know, in my, you know, in my community? So, you know, it's, it's taking for organizations um, to understand that innovation is going to be here regardless. Mm. So you have to be a part of that wave and offer options. But at the same time, when the industry thrives as a whole, we all win. So if we take it an approach where I'm not going to embrace it because it's going to hurt my numbers, you know, that's not embracing the industry. And if you do it or not, it's going to thrive. People are going to want options mm -hmm. regardless. Mm -hmm. So you need to embrace it and offer your best foot forward to make it better, mm -hmm. to elevate the industry. And when it elevates, everybody's going to elevate. Well, speaking of innovation, I mean, you guys have an interesting program now where you're making investments into companies that are not necessarily in the, um, the alcohol or beer space, right? Mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and that's really interesting. You, you started a program, uh, I think it's three or four years in right now, called yeah. Tap the Future. Tap the Future, right? you know, like Tap the Future. And uh, it's a program where you actually go out and it's almost like a Shark Tank type of, of, of program. You partner with Damon John and you yeah. guys go out and take submissions of innovative startups and you fund them, right? Yeah, so the program we just kicked off um, this year um, in February. The app, we're in the application phase right mm. now. So from February to April, you could go on to mltapthefuture.com um, and upload your business idea, concept, or plan mm -hmm. um, for a chance at winning six figures towards your business where we take no piece of your business. Mm -hmm. um, within that, we select the top 25 to actually go around the country and pitch live in front of Damon and our inspirational judges. You know, we have Everett Taylor, who's a judge, CMO at Skirt, which mm -hmm. is an amazing platform disrupting the rental car industry. Um, in addition to that, you know, after you win that live pitch, the semifinals, you win $20,000 that night. Then you go on to Chicago for the finals for a chance of six figures for your business. Um, the model has been amazing. The first year, Text Pride, um, they licensed the emojis. Mm. Um, and they were able to take on the $280,000 we gave them. Um, in the following year, they scaled and sold their business for $27 million. Wow. Um, and we have stories like that throughout. But the beauty of it and why we embrace that. Probably should have had a little piece of the equity in that joint. <laughs> the CEO at the time was like, Steve, you should have got at least 5%. You'd have had to give it back, yeah. but it would have felt good. <laughs> but um, the beauty of it and embracing 
you know, businesses outside of our beer industry mm -hmm. is that that's innovation. They license emojis. There weren't no beer emojis before that. Mm -hmm. So we were able to partner with them and create the first beer emojis. Wow. So okay. Miller Light emoji, Coors Light emoji, That's Blue dope. Moon emoji, and people at sporting events cheer, you know, cheers to Coors Light yeah. on their apps using Kick or WhatsApp. Um, that was the thinking. It wasn't just, hey, let's find the next beer. Let's find innovation that's going to disrupt an industry, elevate the culture, and potentially partner with them to create an opportunity to do something that nobody else is doing. Mm -hmm. You know? So if innovation is your purpose, essentially, regardless of where you invest, you'll find value out of it that you can apply to your business model. You can find value within it. You know? But at the same time, understanding that without small business, there is no America. And right now, there's a lack of resources. It's a lack of information, proper information for your industry. There's information, but you need to understand the information that's right for you. Mm -hmm. And we created a platform to be able to help small business elevate and grow the right way. So potentially they can move on and hire people and make our communities better. That's creating jobs. Yeah. So there's a bigger purpose. There's Winning with purpose. And so how are you guys telling that story? Is there um, a broader communication strategy around yeah, that to tell so, that story? So whatever industry you're in, whatever brand you have, you need to be your authentic self. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So Miller Lite is the original light beer. They created the light beer category. You know? Yeah. So within that space, we understand the entrepreneurial mindset and what it can do. So for us, it's hold true. You know, stay true to your course as an entrepreneur to know that whatever it is your business is and, you know, and what you're trying to accomplish to disrupt, the, you know, an industry or elevate, you know, um, an idea that you need to hold true and be your authentic self. And you could potentially be like a Miller Lite where there were naysayers. Nobody's going to drink a light beer. Nobody's going to drink a locale beer, but they held true. You know, so 35, 40 years later, you know, it's, it's this mega brand mm -hmm. that's created all these jobs and put people on these platforms because they held true to, to what they want, you know, what they felt was a need within the space. So by creating Miller Lite Tap the Future, there's an authentic original story there that aligns us to entrepreneurs. We mm -hmm. own that space. Mm -hmm. Your origin story is analogous to theirs. Got exactly. It. Got so it. we own that space and, you know, so if, you know, any beer or any, you know, CPG company or whoever could try and do it, but do you have that authentic original story as well? You know, and that's what keeps us true to who we are and giving back and, have, and gives us that connection with the consumer. So now, obviously, man, you've, you've taken quantum leaps within the corporate world to be able to create and drive the development of innovative programs like this. Um, but you're doing so much more than that now. Um, you right. started, you know, this new organization called the Brand Executive. Right. Um, you're becoming kind of this corporate coach that are helping young executives kind of find their truth, their right. authentic self, kind of plot their kind of uh, their course. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing in terms of helping yeah. young executives, um, mentor young executives? Definitely. You know, with the Brand Executive. Um, what it is, is becoming the CEO of your brand. Mm. Um, being the CEO of you. Mm. I'm the CEO of me. And when I say that, it's taking hold of who I am as an individual and writing my story. 
and not allowing other people to write the story for me. So I'm, I'm embracing who I am and embracing my purpose, and I'm allowing and, and pouring into small businesses now and entrepreneurs and brands to take in and understand that they are a brand, if they decide to activate it or not. You know, so within the space, you know, we have an app where we, you know, push out content and information, digestible information about bettering yourself, toxic people in your life, um, how to grow as an individual. What do, you, what do you find to be the number one obstacle for young executives or entrepreneurs to really realize their full potential? Um, it's patience um, and, and purpose. I keep saying the word mm -hmm. purpose because it's very important. It all starts there. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're just doing it just to get money, it can come and it can go, then what? If you have a purpose, that creates the roadmap to where you need to go, the people you need to embrace within your life, the information you need to take in and digest. You know, it, it creates that roadmap for you. So starting with purpose and then obviously patience because it takes time. Jay-Z didn't become Jay-Z overnight. It took him 10, 11 years to get to where he is right now. More you know, that. yeah, you know, just and, and that yeah. was just the start. Yeah, yeah. To say, all right, I'm in the door right now, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. you know, that's yeah. everybody's. You know, it. Yeah. There's only so many people that win the lottery. Yeah. And I, you know, liken that to just the industry. Like people, it it doesn't happen. The success story doesn't happen overnight. Well, that's a great example you bring up, Jay Z. How many people, young people, don't do their history or don't do the. Uh, their homework, so to speak. They don't study their history. They don't go back and look at the Genesis stories of some of these icons and what they've gone through to get to where they are. Um, there's, there's a lot of people out there that talk about millennials and young executives as being mm -hmm. kind of this entitled generation uh, that kind of wants instant gratification uh, and are really focused on the now and they're looking at people like Mark Zuckerberg and young people who are becoming billionaires and think they can replicate that same right. success overnight. Uh, what do you tell those individuals that may not see a value uh, in doing some of their homework or taking a history lesson from some of these iconic individuals who've made such huge achievements? You should always want to learn. You should always want to be the master of your industry. So if you're in the music industry, if you're in clothing, whatever industry it is, you should understand the history of that industry and you need to study it because that's only going to put you on a broader platform. And I always tell people, because people, to your point, it's instant gratification. Mm -hmm. So it's not, their, it's not their fault. We built this platform. Mm -hmm. And they're consuming information. So if they want something, they hit a button, they get it. Right? But the one thing I always tell them is you can't Google experience. You Google everything else, all the information in the world that you want. But the experience that you get from the partnerships, the relationships, you know, if you need to, you know, make something happen, that phone call, yo, Joe, I really need you to, you know, put this in motion so we can make this happen. That comes through the experience and the information and the knowledge to know that you're a leader within that industry. You know, so artists these days, I'll use the music industry, you know, like, like we talked about, a lot of them don't feel the need to do the research and understand the culture and the artists that came before, before them because they feel like they're offering their part to culture. They're, this is their gift to, to the industry, so you should be studying me as well. You know, so it's not mm -hmm. just, mm -hmm. I should be studying you, you should be studying me, because I'm now. Yeah. You know, so 
they don't feel the need to have to take And there's some truth back. to that. And there, there is. There's some truth to that because, I mean, obviously young people have been at, and, and young entrepreneurs are at the forefront of disrupting kind of every major industry that exists right now. Uh, for some for good reasons, some for not. But uh, there's a lot to be learned from them. But is that creating a, a level of, let's call, overconfidence uh, where if they do uh, experience a downfall or they do experience failure, that they won't know how to deal with it because yeah. they don't have that, that, that context. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very real, you know, right now that, you know, people don't understand that failure is a part of your success mm. and that story because that's where the key lessons are learned. Failure is a part of success. I mean, I, I tell people that I've failed more than I've succeeded in my life, but one of my successes eclipses all my failures. Right. You know, you have to know the stakes that you're playing at, right? Yeah. Uh, and you can lose a couple hands, but you got to know when you go all in and you win, and that river card comes out and you win that pot, <laughs> that uh, it made all of those other losing hands yeah. worth it, you know? So, uh, no, that was, that, 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 that's, that's an insight to and, take and to the it's, bank. It's great, it's, you know, it's real, you know. I'll use Damon John as an example. Mm -hmm. He's he opened and closed Fubu about three or four times before it got to where it is, you know. And each time and he's still selling Fubu. And he's still he's selling still Fubu in Walmart and Japan, everywhere all over the world. Yeah, yeah. He's still selling, but it took that one hit and it, it took off. Absolutely. But it failed three times before it got. If yeah. he failed after the first time, then what? Yeah. The second time, then what? The third time, then what? No, he's the king at reinvention, you know. Um, and understanding how to pivot, you know, I mean, just look at what he's doing now. It's incredible. I mean, he's he's can give a uh, a lesson on how to rebrand yourself right. or focus your purpose through a different lens to create a new opportunity. Um, so, what's next for for you, man? I mean, you know, obviously, you know, you got so many things going on, but how do you define success for yourself? Um, you know, for me, within the corporate space, is continuing to make sure we lead with purpose. Mm. All of our brands lead with purpose to understand that whatever we do, we need to understand that we need to give back to our communities, develop our communities so they can grow. Mm. Um, and it's not just billboards and TV spots. We need to have conversations with the community. We need to engage the community. Um, on the personal side, I'm continuing to grow with the brand executive and, and pouring back into the communities wherever I can because people want information and people need mentors. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a, that's a key to our individual growth as well. So if you can't personally find a mentor, this space of the brand executive is going to constantly share information that hopefully you can pull from. You might not pull everything, but they're gonna be, there's going to be information that you can pull from to help you grow as an individual. So I have you know, the brand executive um, within that, I have The Mind of a Winner, the book that I have that's coming out in July, where I've interviewed folks that are successful within the all right within a lot of different industries, right? And I'm creating um, the tools for you, the power moves, for you to take away, to know that whether you want to be the best mom, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to be an athlete, that there's a common thread amongst it all that can allow you to get to that space of mm. success. How much did sports play in, in, in shaping your mentality and your approach around this? It was huge. You know, um, being able to play, I learned how to work with people. Mm -hmm. I understood responsibility. 
I understood that it takes the extra inch to become successful within sports. So it isn't just going to practice and then forgetting about it until tomorrow. It's going to practice, going to class, coming back to the gym and shooting an extra thousand shots. You know, it, it took that extra inch to receive that success and have it. Mm -hmm. You know, so being in sports and in that environment, it created a mindset um, of good habits mm -hmm. to become successful in, in, in within the space, um, which, you know, when you look in a corporate, I'm working with a team, you know, and everybody has their roles as individual, but it's a team effort to reach our goals. So we put the playbook out, we put the plays out, and as an individual, you need to do your best part and bring your best self um, within this team environment to be successful. And it taught me how to work with people and know that it isn't just going into the office, you know, there's getting to know individuals and people. Yeah. You know, and being able to grow and, you know, being able to allow other people to become their best selves as well. Your most proudest achievement? Man, my pro most proudest achievement. You know, um, my parents came from Haiti. They came as immigrants, barely spoke English. But they knew that coming to the States, they would give their children an opportunity to be successful or achieve. So being able to go to high school, I couldn't bring my homework home and ask my parents how to do this math, math problem or this history project, but I figured it out. Getting a scholarship to go to college, graduating from college, getting a job after college and being able to travel the world coming into corporate and disrupting this category and the category embracing this mindset of purpose combined that all of it embodiment um, and you know my parents knowing who I am as an individual and wanting to pour back to me is is my biggest accomplishment you know um, being able to put a body of work together yeah. so it wasn't a one-hit wonder single you know, year after year, I was able to release that hit single, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then drop an album and, and get a response from people. Yeah. And, and, and that response is impacting the culture. Mm. It's creating jobs, mm. financial literacy, you know, scholarships so individuals could go to college. You know, it's, it's being able to, that full body of work to what it is now, which is the purpose of being able to pour back into our culture and raise our culture up. Beautiful, man. Yo, Steve, thank you so much for coming on, sharing Definitely. your story with us, man. Definitely. Uh, good luck me. to you. Um, say hello to your beautiful wife for us, Definitely. man. And please, man, come back and see us again. Steve Canal, uh, Senior Director of National Community Affairs, Miller Coors. We out. <laughs>